Oh, hello, fellow humans. You caught me in the middle of drinking coffee while reading comics and listening to metal. Do you ever get curious about how your favorite creators get their inspiration? Have you ever wondered what led them down this path? Well, join me, noted comic book heartthrob Grant Stoy, as I do deep dive interviews with some of the best comic book folks around on Into the Comics Cave. Each week we examine a creator's history and find out stuff like where they grew up or whether or not birds with lips are sexy. You can find us on Apple, Stitchers, and most anywhere you stream your podcasts. Now back to my favorite hugger in the world, Don Cardenas. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Comics Coffee Metal Podcast. I am your host, Don Cardenas, and I hope you've been having a fantastic week. Um, I have not. Uh, hopefully you can't tell too much, but I have been uh, fighting some sort of sickness yet again this week, and every word I speak right now, it razor blades in my throat, so unfortunately, I will not be going in-depth on any recommendations this week, uh, and... Just going to have a little bit of intro here and then right to the guest. Uh, I was really looking forward to talking about the new album from Meshuga and the graphic novel Count from Humanoids and Ibrahim Mustafa. But um, yeah, I wanted to save those for next episode. So, you know, but in the meantime, definitely check those out. It's, it's some good shit right there. <laughs> um, but yeah, I got to stop talking. Uh, I, I'd, I'd feel real bad if it wasn't for my guest being so awesome this week. So... At the very least, there is that. So, enough of this. I need to go pour more coffee or tea or whatever it is down my throat. And, uh, yeah. Alright. See you next time. And let's get to the guest. Alright, it is now time for my guest. Today I am joined by the amazingly talented Rent Hockey, the mastermind behind the Ronin Digital Express webcomic. Now, Rent is someone who I uh, have not spoken to <laughs> until uh, this evening as we're recording. And uh, even though I don't really take a lot of solicitations for the show, just because of timing of things and all that, uh, I was really floored by Rent's work and he just seems like a really cool guy. So I'm like, let's do this. So before we get into getting to know each other a little bit more and uh, a bunch of questions I may have about Ronin Digital Express... Rent, I gotta ask, Comics Coffee Metal, what are you digging right now? Uh, well, first and foremost, thank you for uh, buttering me up. Um, you know, it's really kind of put me in a <laughs> nice chill mood for, for our conversation. Um, so I appreciate all the kind words and also for having me on. Um, yeah, I guess we can start with coffee. Um, so, you know, I, I, I don't really have... I've got maybe kind of a novel approach to coffee. You tell me what you think of it. So um, in terms of like the coffee itself, uh, basically we're just looking at uh, your typical Folgers setup. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you've probably not heard of Folgers before, but it is sold in most, 
major stores. Uh, and it, is a bit, is, it is a bit boutique for my taste. Yes. It is kind of one of those things where it's like horseshoe theory of coffee, where like the more uh, into coffee you get, I think the more you forget about the rest of us normies drink. Uh, so yeah, there, there's that risk there, but, um, but, but I do put a little twist on it. So every morning I, I, I scoop my Folgers into the coffee maker. I throw some cinnamon and some nutmeg in it. Oh, yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, I think that my wife did it one time for Christmas, and I was like, "I'm gonna do this every day. Like, this is why would I? Why would I go back?" Um, so yeah, I'll do that with a little bit of uh, like Italian flavored creamer from you know any dairy aisle, and uh, yeah, I will uh, wake up at five a.m. start drawing and, and drink a pot of that pretty much every day. Nice, nice. Oh, I I appreciate the uh, kind of a jazzing it up a little bit yeah you know that's why uh why suffer you know <laughs> i'm not i'm not a super big in a person big into like flavored coffees and all that though i i've i've recently enjoyed some some new ones i've tried but it's definitely like uh i'll have one cup of it and i'm like i'm good yeah, you know, yeah. I, don't, I don't need any more of this today so adding the cinnamon and nutmeg it sounds really good it, it definitely sounds like if you you know you're not uh if you're i guess i'm not necessarily a coffee snob it's my like my one like it's like our one fancy thing we buy <laughs> it, you know what it, it is i'm gonna i'm gonna go out on a limb and say it's okay to be a snob about things you really enjoy i think that's fine you know i mm-hmm. it, it people get worried that like they they go on and on and on about like a thing they're really into that they start to sound like a snob it's like sound like a snob then like you love this thing it's okay if you're a little bit insufferable about it it's fine <laughs> Well, I, I try. I I definitely tried not to be because, uh, you know, I've definitely had uh, opportunities to thumb up, thumb my nose at coffee being offered. But I, you know, it's like I'll take it. It's fine. Like it's yeah. just not my. It's just not what I usually like. And um, yeah, no, that's not. That's not I have to try that one day just with anything because I do like cinnamon and nutmeg yeah. in general. With with you know, in terms of uh, I guess baking type things yeah. Uh, so yeah it's it definitely uh sounds sounds interesting and i don't want anybody to worry about me i do have access to good coffee uh, my wife is the coffee snob of the family um so you know there's always a, a tin of at least botello uh, espresso in the house somewhere uh, and she she will make uh, the occasional uh, latte for me um so yeah i do i do get access to the good stuff uh but well, there's drink. also yeah, there's also that kind of you know thought behind enjoying, you know, a nicer thing. You know, have not not having it every single time, so that way when you do have it, it, it just is that much better when you yeah. do. So no, I that's a good way to look at it too. I totally, I, I I totally get you and res- respect the the game there. Yeah. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Awesome. awesome. All right, so comics or metal? What's 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 next? Uh, we can do metal briefly. I actually, um, I have some connection to metal. Uh, when I was a teenager in the early aughts, uh, I was very much, um, you know, sort of into Metallica and, and Korn and the Deftones, probably Deftones is probably the big, the big one I was, I was really into. Uh, so I do have some experience with that. I kind of dropped off of it for a well, quite a long time. Um, but then as I've been listening to your podcast a little bit, I actually took your recommendation 
mm-hmm. from a recent episode, you had mentioned um, the band Beneath the Silence. Oh, yeah. 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 And you sort of compared them favorably to uh, Lacuna Coil, which mm-hmm. was one of the bands that I used to be really into. Uh, so yeah, I've been listening to Beneath the Silence for like the past week and I've really been digging it and I may, I may have to thank you for giving me an excuse to matriculate back into metal at long last. My job is done. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Secured a new convert. Uh, that is, uh, that is an incredibly, uh, great thing to hear. I, 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 you know, I, I don't get a lot of feedback in terms of, um, when I do the recommendations and all that. And when I do, I'm, I'm glad that I've helped spread the gospel of metal a little bit. Yeah. And especially with a band like that, cause that's, you know, Lacuna Coil uh, was kind of one of like in the kind of more dramatic type metal and yeah. like that uh, was kind of my gateway back into metal after kind of like floundering for a bit in the latter to latter two thousands. Yeah. Uh, myself with it. And then, you know, so being able to uh, take a band like that and, and, and pass, pass it along. Feels yeah. <laughs> we well, pulled, you pulled a really good clip too. Cause I can't remember which song it's from, but um, I think you described it as being lacuna coil ask. And then you put some other qualifiers on it. And then you played a clip that was exactly what you just described. And I was like, hundred percent. I'm, I'm sold like a, that. I'll, I'm going to go check that out. So yeah, I shouldn't. I, I probably shouldn't call myself a, a new convert. I'm more like a Catholic who lapsed and now is coming back to the faith. So you may, yeah, you may have started something. I might have to check in with you for a few more recommendations uh, down the line. Hey, this you know what? This reminds me. Can I ask you a, a tangential metal question? One thousand percent, sir. Go for it. So it, it's truly tangential. Um, you're in the Chicago area, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you know a place called Kuma's Corner? Yes, I do. I <laughs> I love Kuma's Corner. I have only been there like three times. It is in my top five burgers. And it's I, I wanted to ask you because A, Chicago, and then mm-hmm. B, it's like a it's like a death metal burger bar, right? Yeah, they have like the Slayer burger and like the Neurosis burger and, and just yeah, burgers named after metal bands. Yeah. And um, when I was in there, they had like some Swedish death metal just like pounding the walls mm-hmm. while I'm sitting at the bar eating. And it's, I was just like, this is a, this is a vibe. I'm into it. Uh, kind of a, I guess, additional facts there is I grew up like two blocks from there. <laughs> is it in Lakeview? Um, I think it's technically Riverview. Okay. Is, is the area. Um, but yeah, I grew up. Yeah, just a couple blocks from there. Um, I had moved on from that area before they had opened and all that. But um, I still drive by there when I take my uh, my kids to visit grandma and grandpa. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've only been there, I think, once. Yeah. Just because now that I'm not, I don't live in Chicago proper anymore. So it's kind of a, a trek to get down there and have the kids. Yeah. Can't exactly take the kids there. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Yeah. I mean, I could, but... You know, I don't know how uh, well that would be received. I don't think they have high chairs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. For anybody. Um, yeah, the, I think the bathroom situation might be a little complicated too. Yeah, um, yeah. But no, that 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 corner I'm very familiar with because I would walk by it all the time because there there's a 
a bakery that's been shut down for years now that I used to walk there with my grandma and get like coffee cake every Sunday. So yeah, like so everyone's like whenever like people like around the country that I end up talking to and like oh she got kumas and I'm like yeah it's just a little extra weird for me just because they're probably way more familiar with it than I am because they probably come there whenever they go to Chicago they go there and I've yeah, been there yeah. like once but I like grew up in that area my grammar school is like down the street from there yeah 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 <laughs> the park I would live at when I was younger is again like another two blocks away like it's just kind of crazy um but yeah, the I'm burger trying... I did have was good it was good I, I'm I... trying to recall how I kind of came across them in the first place but I think I, I may have been in college or something and I read an article you know they got an article in like taster or some online thing like that because they had created a burger that was uh i can't remember what the burger was called but they described it as uh as sacrilegious because it was supposed to be like sacrilegious burger or something like they had oh, like i a, think that was the, i think that was the ghost burger might have been they had like the a, it had like a red wine reduction and then like a like a literal cracker from like a church communion yeah they, had, they somehow sourced the um communion wafers yeah yeah and used that um and uh i remember i remember when that happened uh that was that was years ago yeah and yeah the the local catholics were not pleased <laughs> that was the impression i got as well um but i had to i had to rush in and bang the doors down too so i'm in madison wisconsin okay um and i'm usually you know i grew up around this area went to college in indiana so i'm, I'm sort of midwest through and through uh so i do have occasion sometimes to stop through chicago um and yeah i think one time i went out of my way to go have that burger and then like a few years later it's probably like two 2015 2016 or something like that um i went to c2e2 and mm -hmm. you know because i was there i was like okay well now that i'm in town i've got to grab you know kuma even though it was kind of out of the way and then I, yeah there's like one other time where i might have been through there for a funeral or something like that and i and i went there and yeah every single time i go i'm just like i, I have a good time i really like that place i hope they, they do you know if they survived covid and i hope they did oh i yeah i'm, I'm they did they're actually just there's a second location now closer to me where I live now. Cause oh. I'm like, cause I'm, I'm like 20 minutes from the Wisconsin border right now. Oh, okay. So, okay. Um, so there's a place, um, there's a suburb called, I want to say, cause they're like, they're so jammed together. I'm trying to figure out technically, I think it's technically Vernon Hills. Um, where they had this, they, they built this whole new big shopping center. And they had a bunch of like nicer restaurants pop up because around here it's majority chains mm. and not that these aren't chains themselves or like owned by larger chains, but they're, yeah, it's not Chili's, yeah. you know, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a little bit more variety. Another and, five guys or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I love a five guys burger, but you know, if I want to sure. go on a date, like, you know, I want something that at least feels not like Outback. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Um, it's our so, anniversary. I'll spring for a uh, Chick-fil-A or yeah, I know. I know what you mean. <laughs> I'm laughing now because uh, just because of everything, my wife and I did take our anniversary dinner to Outback just yeah. this, a couple weeks ago. But hey, we had it, you know, that was, uh, um, no, was that, is that what we went for? Yeah, that is. Okay. Sorry. Cause we also did a lunch at a fancy taco place, but that's, um, yeah. but you know, they, they opened up Akuma's there and, uh, occasionally I've been like, oh, we should go there. And then, but usually it's like, you know, 
we got the kids in the car or whatever. And it's again, yeah, it's a situation yeah. where it's like, I'm sure it'd be, you know, I don't think there's anything like weird <laughs> or, or traumatizing on like the walls or anything, but, uh, and the kids are not super fans of daddy's music, but, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, if they're getting food, they, they're usually pretty amenable to, to whatever the, the surrounding area the situation is, but yeah. Yeah, but yeah, if you're, well, if you're... Yeah. next time I pass through, I'll hit you up and we'll go to Kuma. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess we're saving, uh, saving uh, the best for last comics. Comics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, what I'm vibing on lately is, is manga. Like I'm not really, I'm not typically a manga guy. Like I, you know, obviously Akira, you know, is, is, uh, it's hard not to to like that, you know, and mm-hmm. to be influenced by it. So, I mean, there are the obvious ones, um, that, you know, I do have exposure to. Um, but I, I don't know. I've been starting lately. I've got, uh, right now I'm working through uh, vagabond, um, which that's the, that's too far away. And I don't have my glasses on. I can't remember. It's in a way, I think is the artist's name, but it's a, um, it's about, uh, uh, Musashi Miyamoto, the famous Japanese samurai. It's sort of like a manga adaptation of of his life. Um, and there's probably like a hundred volumes of it. I'm still on volume one. Um, but I, I like the story of, of Musashi. I've read his, you know, his book, The Book of the Five Rings, which is about, you know, warrior culture and, you know, Edo, Japan. Um and he's also, he's just really, he's very famous. He's, I mean, imagine, I don't know who we have in America who's kind of like a a folksy, you know, soldier hero. I mean, we, we have like, you know, Jesse James and like outlaws and stuff like that. He's not an outlaw, but he's probably about as famous in terms of just sort of like Japanese cultural lore. Like he's one of their sort of real life historical superheroes. Um, and like, so yeah, I mean, they, they make everything, there's a ton of adaptations about his life. I mean, there's three, there's like a movie trilogy from like the fifties, um, that stars, uh, Toshiro Mufune as, as Mushashi. Uh, so pretty big deal, cultural figure. Um, and yeah, the manga basically is just about his life and like, I don't know, I was just, I'm, I'm the subject matter obviously interests me because of, you know, some of the stuff that I do, um, but yeah, it's like a, it's like a doorstop of a book, but what, what kind of struck me about it from like a craft perspective is like, you know, this is maybe like the third or fourth giant doorstop manga I've, I've sort of rolled the dice on, but like, I can read them really quickly. Like they, they're big, but they go quick. I think just because, you know, the panel breakdowns are, you know, you might have like two panels a page or something like that and just really big moments uh, mm-hmm. all the time. Um, and like, you know, obviously the art is very appealing and the detail work, but the idiosyncratic ways that it's like, not like Western comics, you know, like there will be like a lot of pages where there are just no backgrounds, you know, like it's just yeah. like figure work or whatever, but like, it doesn't look like they're, they're, you know, cheaping out or anything like that. It, it looks, you know, for a, a really talented manga artist, like it, it, you don't even notice that there's just all this breathing room, but yeah, it's uh, so yeah, I've been vibing on that. Um, thinking about picking up some crying Freeman and just getting pull starting to pull some deep cuts here. Cause I'm, I'm really, uh, I think I'm entering a bit of a, a bit of a manga phase. 
Awesome. Yeah, it's manga is still such a huge blind spot for me, but in uh checking out your webcomic, I, I definitely saw the influence of that kind of pacing and that kind of just uh the, the storytelling of that. It, was manga something you've always kind of gravitated to or is this kind of a relatively recent uh you know uh, diving into the, the this format? Yeah, I, it's pretty new. Um, you know, like I said, uh, I've, I've always had like copies of Akira hanging around. Um, I think that I, you know, I, I pull the trigger every once in a while, uh, just to check one out. Like I've got like maybe one volume of Ultraman sitting around. Um, and, uh, yeah, but not, not too much. Like usually, usually I'm, I'm more, my comic reading habits are a little bit more like, uh, you know, big two stuff for like monthlies um and then like for trades i'll get indie stuff or mm -hmm. stuff that is like just come over from europe you know so like if you know the second like euro comics or lion forge or someone like that translates some french you know bonded destiny book or something like that um i i grab that so what i wanted what i part of manga for me was a little bit, you know, with, with my own comic, what I would like is I would like to have sort of the situational, you know, characters sitting around talking to each other and, you know, exposition, establishing stuff. I would like that to kind of take cues from like European style comics. Cause they're just very, um, they're just like really kind of easy does it pacing and like, yeah really good sense of like scene you know mm -hmm. uh so i'd like to do that with those kind of scenes but then with action i'd like to go like more manga where you know there's a lot more like action lines there's a lot more you know <sighs> exaggerated um anatomy and stuff like that so i would kind of like to figure out a way to blend both those styles together depending on the situation so picking up some more manga is is a little bit part of that um but yeah I'm, I'm also i'm also fairly relatively new to that world myself it's not really something i have a lot of a lot of knowledge of so yeah if any anyone listening who's a big uh manga person if they want to drop me some recommendations uh i'll definitely take them one of the things you mentioned european comics i, I haven't run read a, a ton of european stuff uh, i think the most i've read is from black sad um, yeah 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 which you know is you know, kind of like saying like, <laughs> you know, you know, my favorite movie is Jaws. Like, yeah, of course, yeah, it's, yeah. it's great. But also like everyone, <laughs> everyone knows Jaws. <laughs> it's, like, it's like saying you drink Folgers coffee. Right? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Um, but one, one thing I, I did notice from, you know, the European comics and now that you mentioned that and with uh, checking out Ronin and noting the manga influence as well, but like the, the sitting in a moment. That your mm. your European comics can they can they can pause and sit in a moment and um there's definitely American comics that do that but yeah it feels like so you know like again because because there's you know a, a limit to the pages you got to get going you got to keep the interest from everybody because it's you know it's a much uh, more aggressive game over here for, yeah. for people's eyes but uh, I I see that influence in in Ronin where it's like you know, before the spurt of action, which, you know, 
if you're going to go with action, you know, manga influence, there you go. Like that's, yep. that's, that's, you know, that's one of the reasons I keep kicking myself. Cause it's just, I, whenever I do see action in manga examples, like, like I got to read this because I gotta, I gotta start absorbing this in for yeah. my own art and, and, and all that. But you seem to have also picked up this, um, the, the, the sitting, the sitting in the moment. And, and it's a great thing because, you know, when you have engaging characters and you have a, a great story, it's just as good as the action sometimes is having the, that sit down moment. And it, it's funny to me that more American comics don't kind of like celebrate that kind of storytelling. Yeah. Um, you, you'll find that in like independent comics for sure. But like sure. in mainstream those, and, but then it's like, you know, you see like these same people who enjoy like the go, go, go exposition on the fly uh american comics talk about all this other type of media that has these moments where it's like well comics could probably do these better <laughs> if you give them a chance <laughs> yeah yeah there yeah. are a lot of comics that are sort of like uh taking cues from aaron sorkin or something where there's just a lot of like and now I got to catch you up on everything on the fly while we're, you know, and then to make it visually exciting, maybe it's happening during a car chase or something like that. But yeah, yeah, no, that's, I mean, that, that's really what appeals to me about like trying to do a Western in comics, you know, and that's for anyone who's not familiar with, with Ronin Digital Express, my comic, it is a Western first and foremost. I mean, it takes visual cues from, you know, anime you know like cowboy bebop like 90s anime uh and also obviously a very heavy infusion um of like samurai culture japanese stuff i mean it's called ronin digital express the main guy carries around a katana but uh you know genre wise it's a western and i think that you know if i can i'm still obviously uh very much at the beginning of uh, finding my voice as an artist, but I really do kind of like that idea of like setting a scene uh, and and kind of staying in quiet moments and then having these like brief bursts of really kinetic violence or action. Right. And that's sort of, that just is a Western, right? I mean, there, there's a lot of like moody stuff going on in a Western and then, you know, draw bang bang and it's over you know so and like a lot of samurai movies are that way too if you watch like old akira kurosawa movies um that you know in fact a lot of westerns uh kind of copied uh a lot of you know old kurosawa stuff like a lot of the tropes are very similar between old samurai movies from like the 50s and 60s and like the westerns that followed them um so yeah i mean it's the same thing there like you you think of like maybe uh, a sam you know two ronins or samurai or ninja fighting each other and maybe you think of it in terms of like fencing or something where there's just like this long really you know balletic uh, sword fight but no like it was really kind of similar to the western it's just like draw draw one guy loses an arm you know and it's, and it's <laughs> you know so i really i like i really like that juxtaposition i like that contrast between you know there like there's like there's this Italian comic artist, Vittorio Giardino, I think his name is his, his most, his big claim to fame, I think is he did, he did, he has like an erotic little Nemo spoof where it's, you know, like some kind of like, I don't know, girl in her twenties who has weird erotic dreams or something like that. 
Um, but he's a very good artist and he's got like art books where it's just like, you know, he'll, he'll draw these watercolor pictures of like, you know, a woman sitting at a cafe under a tree and like the tree is doing that thing where the sun is coming through and, you know, there's these little beams of light that are just kind of hitting the table and the ground around her. But for the most part, it's kind of the muted shadow that's over her and, and where she's at. And it's just, you know, you can sort of picture that scene in your head because you've seen it in real life a million times. Um, but some, something about seeing it as a drawing, it just, you're just kind of like, ooh, like that's really, that's really beautiful. And then, yeah, to, it would be, I really aspire to having like comics that are that visually thoughtful, but then also, you know, there is sort of this like, this punctuation of, uh, just really kinetic action and happening very, very, very fast. Yeah. And I, I think Ronan has a great blend of that. And I think, I think you're doing a fantastic job with that book um, or comic, however you want to <laughs> categorize <laughs> the story. Um, and you have, you have some other couple of cool things that are happening in there, but before we get too far into it, let everybody know what is Ronan digital express? Uh, what's the story? What's, what's, what's the hook? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, Ronan Digital Express, like I mentioned before, uh, it's a Western. Uh, it takes place pretty far into our future. Um, not, you know, but it's not like a dystopian uh, or post-apocalyptic kind of thing. Uh, you, you know, the setting is some kind of, you know, world shattering thing happened, you know, a few hundred years ago, and now they're kind of rebuilding. So there's like some technology, but it's not Put together and connected enough that you know it's like our world now or like our world of 100 years from now or so that's a little bit more analog still so you kind of get to have your cake and eat it too between having some technology but also uh, still kind of having the western where people have to kind of get around on foot and you know there are no cell phones and stuff like that so visually visually you get some you know some fun uh, you know technological stuff but uh practically speaking, uh, you know, you're still bound in this Western, but, um, yeah, the main character is this nameless Ronin character, um, you know, very much kind of taking a page from the man with no name trope, uh, you know, from, uh, like the dollars trilogy, the Clint Eastwood mm -hmm. spaghetti Westerns, um, and also, uh, you know, Yojimbo, the, uh, the Akira Kurosawa film, uh, which one of the, Clint Eastwood movies is actually like an unlicensed remake of, oh, um, but that movie is about a, like a Ronin with no name who just kind of, you know, blows into town and uh, has the same, the same tropes as like a Clint Eastwood where, you know, no name, not really getting into his backstory much, if at all, you know, very laconic, not a lot of dialogue, uh, very heavy on mood. Uh, but, you know, there's sort of a, an individual sense of justice that, you know, this protagonist has, um, they can be a little bit anti-heroic and amoral here and there, but at the end of the day, you know, they're, they're going to save the town or whatever. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. So it's that kind of guy. Um, and really just kind of starts off, uh, being very pulpy and episodic and just kind of following him on these random one-off adventures. Um, and just spend a little bit of time with him um, and try to get to know him a little bit, try to try to penetrate, uh, you know, his character. Um, and then as it, as it's going, um, 
you know, some of that stuff. Uh, I think what makes it a little bit different from the, the man with no name, typical stories you'll find is that, you know, whoever the man with no name is in most Westerns, it doesn't really matter, you know? Um, whereas I think for Ronin, um, I kind of want to turn the attention toward him a little bit uh, because I think one of the things that's interesting about the man with no name is that he blows into town. He's really talented, um, you know, with the sword or the gun or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and everyone just sort of immediately looks up to him. And I think the thing that kind of was interesting to me is like, I think, why do you trust this guy? Because he's cool. Like you don't know anything about him. You know what I mean? So I think what I want to do with Ronan is, is kind of maybe start to show who this guy is and maybe what he's trying to hide. And maybe it's something that you don't want to know, you know? Um, And maybe it will change kind of how you feel about him over time. And I would just kind of like to see, yeah, I would like to see how people respond to that. Um, I want to see if that's kind of an interesting lane to pursue and, and yeah, that's what I'm up to. That's awesome. Yeah. I like you, uh, you know, taking that trope is such a, such a negative word sometimes, but like taking that yeah. idea and that, and just saying, well, you know, what's an approach we haven't seen on this yet. And yeah. I think it's a great approach. I'm um, looking forward to seeing what the story is going is, um, is the, uh, sorry, there's a, a bit of background noise happening. Yeah, I, think I, got a, I think I got a vent that just popped on. Oh, okay. Okay. That, that's making sure it's just not the recording and all that. It's fine. Yeah. Um, my apologies. No, no, no. No worries. I've had worse. Like last episode, I almost choked to death. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right in the intro, I'm choking on popcorn. It's fine. Oh, well. And you've, you've heard the show. I, I, it's going to be in there. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, Everyone's I'm safe. <laughs> it sounded very metallic and loud. Like aliens were coming in. So I'm, I'm glad you made it here and we could do this. Uh, we could do this together. This episode. Yeah. Awesome. I don't have some kind of a, some kind of scab while they figure out something else. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm sure my wife would just sell off all my equipment and be like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so with, with Ronan, was this an idea you've had like kind of gestating for a while? Is it cause you've, you know, we've chatted a bit before we start recording and you've mentioned a bit on the show. You got a lot going on, <laughs> you know, you're a busy guy. Yeah. Um, so was this like, I have to tell this story or is it like just, you know, was the idea to do a web comic, the chicken or the egg in this scenario for the sure, story. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, really, I, I mean, I, I, I think I've told this before on a previous interview I did, but um, the, it really kind of came about because I, I initially wanted to be just a comic book writer. Uh, but I, I started to kind of lean into developing like an art style uh, in the past, like four years, four or five years. Um, and as part of that, I was trying to figure out what would be a good workflow. Um, you know, what all kind of equipment do I need? Uh, do I do, do I go traditional? Do I go digital? You know, that kind of a thing. So I chose to go digital. I got a tablet, I got clip studio paint, uh, and sort of in the process of trying to figure out how to use that program, I designed like just a hundred characters, you know, just kind of not 
with any intention of like, you know, like I, I might've drawn like the MCU daredevil or something in there as well. Like not really with any intention of like doing anything with it or, or using the characters, but like, you know, Hey, like I'll draw like 10 characters that are like, you know, for like a 1940s spy comic. And then now I'll draw 10 characters for a futuristic police procedural. And now I'll draw 10 characters for, I don't know, some kind of like hip hop samurai thing, you know, <laughs> or something like that. So I was just kind of like doing a bunch of stuff, just, you know, both as a, to learn the program and to learn the workflow, but also just, you know, as an exercise just for fun. And, um, and some of the characters that I designed there, uh, really kind of started to, to evolve around a theme of this sort of blend of like, yeah, like nineties anime, uh, samurai culture and like Western. And that just sort of, you know, as I was doing this evolved is kind of the dominant theme. And so I was kind of looking at this going, well, who's like the main character here? Like, who do I want to follow? And I picked out, uh, you know, the Ronin that is the the star of the comic now, um, just because, you know, I think it, it was just the most appealing design for a protagonist. And yeah, then from there, it was just kind of like, you know, well, what's his story? Is this like a, you know, a one shot? Is this like a four issue miniseries? Is this a four issue miniseries with an option for more? You know, do I want this to be, you know, preacher where I, I just want to from the get go plan out a bunch of issues or whatever? How am I going to tell this story? Um, and so I did kind of put together uh, a very loose outline for, you know, what sort of like an overall arc might be. Uh, but I just kind of got, I fell into that. I, I think I retweeted something to this effect a few days ago, but I fell into that trap of like, this is something that could be, you know, pretty, so this is something I'm beginning to feel very invested in. Uh, and so therefore I want to make sure that I, if I do it, I'm, I'm ready. Like I'm at a point of like talent and skill where I feel like I can do it. Um, but I just didn't, you know, then I was just, well, but then what, what am I going to work on to get to that point? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like what, yeah. why not this, you know? Uh, and so what I did was I kind of split the difference and I said, well, why don't I, why don't I just do a prototype of it where I'm kind of doing, uh, you know, I, I really, uh, focus on like, um, like the man with no name trope. And I just do serialized adventures, you know, that are you know, five pages here, 10 pages there, limited overall continuity, you know, a couple of subtle through points uh, to carry, you know, people who really dig it uh, through. And I'll just do that. And if I can do that for like a year, and I feel like at the end of that year, it's a project that I'm still invested in and I want to do more with, and I put it out in the world and people seem to, to dig it, then, then go ahead and do, you know, your full plan for it. And so that's kind of where I am right now. Like we're still sort of in the prototype phase of it. And I'm still kind of trying to feel out those questions. Okay. That, that, that seems like a very sensible and smart approach. It's, you know, I think a lot of us can relate to the, I want to do the thing, but I want to be at the level to where it's good 
<laughs> right. It, you know, and you're servicing the, the story with the best skill you have, you know, possible. Um, well, you know, first of all, I, I really enjoyed the art. Uh, I, I like the Thank story you. a lot. I really enjoyed the art. I really liked your approach to the colors, keeping them mostly kind of flat. Yeah. And, and I think it really, it really worked with the style and the setting and all that. And you kind of do this thing, like, in, I don't know if it's necessarily in between chapters, but you kind of have like, like a stat card almost <laughs> for yeah. like certain, for certain items and stuff. Like one was for rice. <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah. It's a, yeah. I, I did a lot of research on, you know, I, I like, I, I like world building to be, kind of off in its own corner a little bit. Like I, I, there are some I think writers particularly who get really invested in like developing a unique language and a bunch of like references to stuff that nobody knows about. And they're kind of hoping that readers will like be curious enough to put that together and, and really grapple onto that stuff the way they do with like, you know, game of Thrones or something like that. Um, and you know, sometimes it's just your mileage may vary with that, you know, like sometimes it works and sometimes, uh, it just doesn't. And so my approach to that kind of thing is, is just to make it as implicit as possible. Um, so it's like, yeah, the world building stuff is like, it's there, it's humming in the background. It's going to pop up here and there in conversations. But for the most part, I want like, let's just pretend that like, you're viewing a document that has been translated into your language and, you know, <laughs> you don't have all these like archaic uh, references to, to things that are in this world that you don't really understand very well. So I, I try to avoid that and try to make the story itself a little bit more accessible and kind of put the world building stuff a little bit in the margins. And so, yeah, to your point, if a, a fun way to do that would be to make these chapter breaks that kind of like, you know, if, if like in the previous chapter, you heard someone say, uh, you know, Kodaishu or something like that in reference to something they were about to drink. And you were like, what, well, what's that? Um, you know, there'd be a chapter break that's like, oh, you know, in this chapter we learned about, you know, almost like a PSA, like in this chapter we learned about Kodaishu. Kodaishu is, and then it explains, you know, it's paint thinner that people get drunk on. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's, I thought that that was kind of like maybe a, a good way to have a little bit of fun, do something that's a little bit more back matter ask for like a web comic but also to to help out with some of that implicit world building stuff well that's something i really dig uh in this and in, and in general having that kind of almost source book <laughs> level yeah um i'm not sure i love getting i love getting extras i'm yeah. totally with you there yeah, I'm anytime sure. an artist like really does the extra mile thing mm -hmm. and like I feel like I'm getting bonuses that I didn't pay for or something. It's just, <laughs> I love it as a consumer. And so as an artist, I want to, I want to give that back. Um, yeah. I, I'm not sure of your age, but you know, I grew up, you know, I was 18 in 2000. So like I, my teen years were filled with all the excessive source books. And like, you know, I think, I don't know if it was like a book or an entire like limited series of Punisher where he's just like detailing his guns. Like, oh, yeah, just yeah. that kind of randomness, <laughs> like anything selling, let's get it. You know, source books were some of my favorite things, even for like image comics. Like I ha I still have like uh, a couple, you know, source books. And for people who are like, not sure what source books I want to exactly talk about. Um, I think it all kind of started with the whole handbook to the Marvel universe thing. Where basically yeah. it's like a, a profile of the character and it gives you like their rundown and their stats and all that. Um, yeah. And they come in different. I guess kind of formats and varieties and stuff like that, but they got really like 
basically everyone uh, who had like a comic book in the nineties eventually had like a source book for their characters yeah. and stuff like that. I, I think I have one for um, age of apocalypse. Okay. Where it's like, it's yeah, it's a bunch of like those, maybe there's like two pages of story where it's like some character breaks into apocalypses, you know, base or something and yes. you know it's gambit yes. or something like yeah. that he's like we got to delete these files really quick so that he can't <laughs> yeah. the rest of the book is the files and it's just like you know it, yeah it's like a trading card per page or something like that yeah 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 it's i think there's one um when i remember was the strife strike file which is strife was a character yeah maybe that's the one i'm actually thinking of um, yeah yeah it was basically like a framing device of like you know, a few extra drawings, but then repurposed art and then talking about yeah. the characters and saying like, oh, here's how I would defeat them or whatever. Um, or I better watch out for them type of situation. Yeah. Like <laughs> I was recently at my parents' house uh, uh, and I re- forgot I had the guide to the X-Mansion, which was like a spiral bound book that had like blueprints to the, the, the was it the Blackbird jet? And like yeah. schematics of the the mansion and their and their base and all, <laughs> it's like yeah, it's just kind of the, the crazy shit that came out in the nineties that like now that I'm like making my own comics I'm like I want to do that but it's also like it's a lot of work for it is very very little to no return <laughs> on that. I, one, I don't think people appreciate like you know when this stuff kind of came out there was no internet like you couldn't just go on the internet and pull up a blueprint of the the blackbird you know yeah. like it's that's this was all you had if mm-hmm. you were curious about that sort of like quote unquote behind the scenes stuff is like marvel would have to put out a book on it and if that didn't exist then you were left with your imagination whereas like now i don't think that that kind of thing would be you know like a reader you know i mean you could create a companion to a series but you you know you'd you'd kind of be foolish like they could do it for saga or something like that but like you know, you'd be foolish to like spend time doing that on something that there was no demand for just because, you know, there's a wiki out there or something like that. Um, and so, yeah, unless like you just had a really invested fan base that was really just crazy about, you know, I need the companion reader to saga. Um, it doesn't make sense. It seems for the publishers to do, to do that stuff so much anymore, but, uh, but yeah, it was kind of a, you know, a novelty of the, the late nineties and the early, uh, the early aughts that, um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a little nostalgic for it as well. Definitely. Um, I, I will note that uh, I usually post for questions from Twitter, and I, I got to it a little bit late today, so we, we only had one. Um, but, you know, Tom Newell, I think we answered his questions already, uh, kind of just in our conversation. Um, but, I you know, thank you for asking. You know, he wanted to know when... So our- he's, my, he's my sworn enemy, so we don't, we don't need to pay attention to anything he said, so... Uh, I love you, Tom. To give him credit, he he wanted to know when did you know Ronin Digital first pop in your head, and then was that preceded by imbibing any stories similar to Ronin Digital in any way? And again, I think we kind of touched on all that. Uh, yeah, uh, with our yeah, I think maybe the, but... I think maybe the only twist on that that I don't think I talked about would just be that, like, yeah, I, I do think that like the initial ideas for Ronin Digital Express were very sort of like, you know, 90s anime, as I said, you know, Cowboy Bebop, Trigun, Outlaw Star, you know, very influenced by that kind of stuff. Um, but then, you know, later, the the sort of uh, spaghetti Western samurai film injection did occur later. So I, I kind of had like an initial idea that, 
you know, it would be like maybe a little bit more, uh, you know, Final Fantasy oriented or something, or, or you know, a little bit more like a a spacefaring, you know, anime type homage, but uh, grounding it and making it a lot more of a Western did come later. So, you know, that DNA kind of found its way into the project uh, after the fact, and it wasn't really necessarily there from the beginning. Cool, cool. Oh, cool. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, yeah, so it's a little both hand, I guess. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. So... In terms of like your your art style, do you have like some like really heavy influences that you kind of have in mind, or were were there certain artists that because you kind of mentioned Nick, you just kind of started developing your art style over the past few years, which it seems very confident in what you're doing. Like you, you like you like know this is your style. You seem very comfortable within it so early. So, yeah. uh, well, I could be mad at you about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well. uh, I, I am more curious as to like who who like your direct influences and you know is there uh any like I guess one you would like pick more than the rest that is like you know this is definitely in my head not that you just are, are trying to draw like that person but like, sure, that's just yeah. kind of like the vibe you're going for when you're when you're drawing yeah yeah I you know I've gone I've gone back and forth I think like the first artists that really kind of made me go like oh wow was was Jim Lee you know like when I was a kid uh and you know prior to seeing my first Jim Lee book I'd seen a lot of comic books from the 70s that were drawn by you know John Bushima or something like that and or Neil Adams and kind of thinking like ah this is okay but then like Jim Lee came out I'm like whoa this is like really you know there's something really special here and now as like an adult I'm like the reverse, you know, like I'm, I'm much more like attracted to the, the more retro, like, you know, high level cartooning, basic color palette, you know, good, confident, minimalistic lines and, you know, form and figure and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, I, I, I really do try, I really do try to take something from everybody in some way, you know, like I think I can't remember. It might have been. It might be something I read about in an, like an Alex Toth book or something like that. But it's something about how like you know you can't just write artists off. Like every artist has something to teach you. You know what I mean? Like they have something that they do really really well that you can learn from. Um, and so, you know, yeah, I would say that as far as uh, artistic influences, like I pull pretty widely. Um, as far as artists that kind of like maybe made me feel like, Oh, that's like close to how I would draw. And therefore maybe I could look to this to find my, my shortcuts a little bit. Um, you know, I mean, it's definitely, uh, you know, Chris Somney, I think obviously is very Mm -hmm. influential, uh, his work on like daredevil, black widow. Um, you know, that's all very, that's all good stuff. Um, a lot of artists uh, like didn't really, they don't have much of a footprint, you know, like there's like a, like John Paul Leon has like, everybody knows who he is. He did a lot of covers and stuff, but as far as like his actual, actual books that he's done, um, there's not, there's not too much to pick from, unfortunately, but you know, every time I can get my hands on something like that, um, that's really exciting for me. So yeah, anything that just has like, great cartooning, uh, you know, really confident lines emphasizes like composition and form over, 
you know, every little scratch and detail that, uh, you know, every little wrinkle or whatever, um, a simple color palette, uh, all that kind of stuff really, really interests me. Um, I think, you know, other people that there are a lot of people who I wish would do more. Like, um, my favorite example of this is Annie Wu. Mm-hmm. Um, Annie Wu, I just, I, if I could find a way to be her best friend, I would, <laughs> I would do it. I find her very funny on Twitter. Um, but also, yeah, I mean, I think I, I picked up some books of hers when she was on Black Canary and then I, I bought everything I could find with her name on it. You know, I mean, I think she just has that similar, you know, maybe a slightly more grungy, uh, you know, Chris Somney style with like slightly better expression cartooning, you know, but yeah, it's just stuff or like Babs Tars, like another one. Like I recently bought the, the big Batgirl book because, you know, Babs Tar just cram (laughs) she crams like like 20 panels on a page but it works somehow and they're all like really high octane high energy a lot of action a lot of that kind of like really flexible anime sort of style in her fight scenes and stuff so yeah i mean i i mean i can go on and find something i like about just about everybody to be honest with you because i just i i pick stuff up and i just go you know oh that's uh they do this one thing really well. Maybe I can learn from that somehow. So okay. So now, typically, I I I kind of shy away from asking the tools of the trade questions just because I'm usually familiar with people. <laughs> so I'm like, I already know this. But you you mentioned you know you clip studio, you got a tablet and all that. Um, yep. Do you do you have specific things you like within the program that you do like certain brushes or? stuff like that, that you kind of like consider a favorite or you're like, I use what it came with and that's it. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm still trying to, f- I'm still trying to feel that out a little bit. Um, I have a, I have a wild hair to potentially try to make some comics that look really, really retro. Uh, so, you know, uh, craft tone just came out with a, a big package of like, uh, I think it's craft tone is the, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, Cause I think, I think they had like just for like procreate and Photoshop and that they just did all the tones and stuff for screen yeah. for, for well, studio now. Well, and they, anim- they advertise like crazy on yeah. like Instagram and stuff, but yeah, they have like a whole, you know, 800 brushes thing that will help you, you know, actually do like the, the actual, um, you know, sixties CMYK layering Mm -hmm. color tones Mm -hmm. to get, you know, green or whatever. Uh, they have like the whole, the whole thing figured out for, um, for clip studio brushes and procreate and Adobe and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I got, I I picked that up and I'm trying to play with that a little bit more. I'm trying to kind of vary up. And that came with a ton of like really good, like texture brushes and stuff like that. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to up my game on that a little bit more. Um, most of what I've done with Ronin is already done. Like it's already in the pipeline. And for that, I was basically just using like, you know, the basic G pen and maybe the calligraphy pen and stuff like that. Uh, and then throw like a, you know, a little layer of, you know, use some gradients um, and then throw, you know, a little bit of grit on top of it all. But uh, for a project that I'm, potentially working on now i might try to do this uh 
I might try to do the thing where I actually like go into the brush pack and like do some tests and, and like try to pull together. Uh, here's what I kind of think I want to use uh, ahead of time. It's not really something I've done before, but I think it might be something I, I try to do in the future where I really sit down, um, you know, kind of like I think Greg Smallwood recently had a had a Twitter thread about human target. And like, he just sort of has a tweet for like, and you know, here's why, where I use this brush and here's why I use this brush and here's where I use this brush. And, um, that kind of convinced me like, okay, like it's, you should sit down and and try to go through, you know, brushes and do some tests ahead of time and then like pull together, like, you know, pull together your team, you know, and then, um, and then make your comics. I think I might try that with the next thing that I do, but, uh, but yeah, otherwise it's, um, yeah, mostly I was just using the G pen, um, and just kind of the basic stuff that came with it. But, but yeah, I have, I have been downloading some, some various outside tools that I, I really want to try to use and, and see how that informs the, the work. Nice. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Cause, um, I was drawing, you know, additionally for years before I, you know, kind of made the jump to doing digital. And I had a lot of starts and stops with it. And for me, it was finding the right brush or the right inking brush that kind of felt most like my traditional way of doing things to really make it all kind of click and make me feel more comfortable completing things digitally and all that. And, you know, cause I tried the the standard brushes that came with Clip Studio and um uh there's the artist Frendon. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Yeah, yeah, I got some Frendon brushes too. Yeah. Yeah, he he released a whole uh like mega pack and I think up until recently I was still getting updates to it. And uh I think just over a year no just over two years ago, sorry. Uh he released the it's called the Not Scott brush. And mm. and I think it's modeled after Scott Williams. Uh which is, you know, Jim Lee's go-to guy for inking and legendary inker and not to say that i ink like scott williams by any sort of the imagination but the way the those once i got like the the i guess the nib size right and the brush size right in the settings and kind of like worked with the stabilization and all that features which people don't tend to think to immediately go to which i didn't either but if you go in like into the brush settings you can you can at, you can like really increase the amount of stabilization so it feels smoother like you might yeah. get like a tiniest bit of lag if you're doing like the big swooping sections of lines or whatever but 99 percent of the time it's not noticeable and if it i think i also kind of feel like it increases like my my mental like drag of the pencil to know yeah. to kind of like go slower and because i can add all the little paper like uh, screens on top of my iPad and all that, and but it's to try to rough up the surface. But it, it's you know seeing the ink come out slower essentially. <laughs> do you so? Do you still go back and forth a little bit to traditional to try to keep that skill um, sharp? Yeah, or... I, I I still take commissions and I do traditional stuff, and I'm actually trying yeah. to. Uh, I'm like s- s- neck deep in uh, sequential art deadlines, and there's a project that I thought I was going to do traditionally but i had to switch yeah. to digitally just because i didn't have the time to uh just kind of you know i prefer digital i prefer traditional in terms of just like the overall feel 
but sure. I have to go with convenience right yeah. now. And uh, so yeah, going digitally, you know, I can work on my table while my kids are hanging out uh, right. in the mornings. Yeah, I've, been, on, I've done some yeah. table drawing myself. But. Yeah, on, on the iPad, but I can't bring out my nib <laughs> in ink. Yeah, in a, drafting board, right? Yeah, my two and a half year olds is going to, you know, spill it, spill it everywhere, reaching for it or something yeah. like that. So that's kind of, but yeah, I definitely want to, you once things kind of die down, because I did kind of overbook myself a bit, um, yeah. I do want to kind of like set a more regimented, like one or one or two days a week. I'm doing at least sketches or uh, inking, uh, whatever, digitally. I'm not sorry, digitally, uh, traditionally and all that. But yeah. But for me, yeah, it was, it was really finding the right brush and finding the right setting. And I know there's the adage of like, you know, it's not the tool, it's the hand that, that pushes it. And that's very true because I've tried plenty of tools. You know, some of the artists I love swear by and I've absolutely yeah. hated them. But there's also something to like find what you're comfortable with and and go from there so yeah i that's that's like a thing i do kind of think that the that cliche like oh it's not the tool it's the artist it's like i don't know there's there's like a handful of super freaks like frank cho who can make beautiful art with a ballpoint pen um but i don't those they're the exceptions to the rule right i mean like i don't most i wouldn't look at my own art that i would drew with a ballpoint pen <laughs> so like, <laughs> i you know i think that we need to use every tool at our advantage uh you know it's, it's like i want to like look at those people and be like do you like what do you do long division when you have to figure something out like do you, do you use a calculator that's on your phone like that's just kind of a kind of a thing that people say if they don't I don't know. It's just talk. It's talk. I think, but um, that's that's a great that's a great comparison, though. I think. Yeah, but this funny the traditional thing. Like I, a lot of the inking stuff is still an area where I'm developing quite a bit. I think one of the best pieces of feedback I got on Ronin, actually, and maybe I shouldn't say it because I don't want everyone to walk into it and have the illusion shattered. I just, I only want them to think that it's great, but um, no, but yeah, the, a pro that I had uh, reached out to was like, yeah, your lines are all just the same. Like you need to vary your line weight. And I, it was one of those things that it just kind of like stuck in my head. I was like, vary my line weight. You know, like it's just like one of those moments in comics where just when you think you have a toehold on like how to do it, someone flips a new card for you and you're like, ah, you know, a whole new thing where it's like now, yeah. So now I've like been buying books about inking and stuff and just when does it end? I don't know. But, um, but going back and forth, that's interesting. Uh, you know, I, I digital is for me. Yeah. It's, I know all the costs that come with it. Like, obviously, you know, you don't have your art that you can sell and stuff, but um, you know, I do digital, uh, because of the workflow stuff and the, the portability, I guess, but I have been trying to do some sketching, um, again, and, but it's like the first time I've, I've sketched in like, you know, probably two years now. And it, it's, it's like, you'll, maybe you'll appreciate this. It's, it's been for me, like, and like, speak to this too, if this is something you went through, but for me going from digital for so long back to even just like analog sketching it's like I was playing an electric guitar on tour for two years. And then someone handed me like a 12 string acoustic <laughs> and 
terms of just like the difficulty in getting it. It's like, oh, this is like a different instrument almost, just how difficult it is to fret the thing. And uh, yeah, it was really like, it was humbling. I'll put it that way. (laughs) There's definitely um, a a snapping off of the rust. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, One of the things that I think helped me the most was uh, when I started my journey into working digitally, I had like a real cheap, um, what was the name of the brand? I forget. Monoprice monitor for drawing. Mm. Um, and it kind of, it wasn't, it wasn't great in the end. It was only fine to do like quick corrections or like work on coloring or something. Yeah. Um, and even then it wasn't super great. And then I eventually upgraded to uh, a Huion monitor, which is actually HD and the pressure points were not better, but what I would end up doing a lot is really gripping the pen, like giving a death grip just because the pen was so light Yeah, that I couldn't really, for some reason I just, and then I would end up like cramping out my, my form and my wrist working digitally that way. And this is like, this is such a weird thing that my body's just instinctively doing. And then, yeah. so, but you know, I, I tried to work with that a lot. And then once I decided to, invest and get the the ipad and the apple pencil the apple pencil's got some heft to it you know it feels right, yeah. like a pencil so mm-hmm. you know it's even you know it's got that nice one flat edge and it's like that really kind of helped my hand relax yeah. a bit for that and i think since this feels more natural the going back and forth there's still there's still you know relearning of course yeah because uh, you know the brush pens i use don't react exactly the same way as the digital pens and all that yeah but you know i think if i do a couple quick little mini sketches or whatever i can get the groove back a little bit and do that so yeah. but that's also why i want to you know once i free up my schedule a bit have a set invested amount of time to keep those traditional feels <laughs> uh sharp or at least loose so yeah yeah because also you know convention season's coming up you know i might be doing c2e2 this year i'm gonna be drawing at the table you know i'm gonna be trying to take pre-show commissions so i'm gonna need to get comfortable again (laughs) doing all that so yeah i think that's my moral fear is i wouldn't want anyone at a table to be like you can't really draw here's a piece of paper why don't you draw me like spider-man or something like that and you know i, I wouldn't be able to swallow my pride and then i would you know draw some kind of blob like i'm a five-year-old <laughs> or something well, it's then, already stressful enough when you're <laughs> drawing yeah live, you know, even if, i would yeah i'm probably just being too paranoid but yeah I, I would be it would be nice to at least have someone look at the napkin sketch and be like oh okay i guess this is the same artist yeah. but I I think there's only a couple occasions I can think, and I'm not saying any names, where I've seen convention mm-hmm. sketches from someone who works digitally all the time, and I'm like, ooh, uh, <laughs> we know where your yeah. yeah, I know where your comfort level is, but then I you know, and then I kind of like stop and I think I'm like, well, you know, maybe that's just you know, not every drawing <laughs> you do is going to be super hot, you know. I've certainly had my kind of a uh, convention sketches where you know the person was super happy with it but i look at it now and i'm like oof i'm glad they didn't ask for that money back (laughs) yeah 
you know? It's, it is, it, well, and people don't also don't realize, like, I mean, when I first started doing digital, like, I would draw, I didn't understand the concept of layers, you know what I mean? Like, I knew that you had to do, like, a, you had to do your ink layer on top of your pencil layer and your color layer underneath your ink layer, but I would do everything pencil-wise on the same fucking layer. Like, I would just do the roughs and... And then I would pull out the eraser and erase around the pencils I was doing, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. like the, the lines I didn't need. And it, but it, like you would do on paper, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. I just I didn't know. And so then I, I heard somebody in a YouTube video or something one time say like, you know, yeah. And then you just lay another, you know, you sketch out your rough thumb and then you lay a layer on top of that and you drop the opacity. And then that blew my mind. Like that was in one of those moments I was talking about where the card turns over and I was just like, oh, yeah, that's so much smarter. But then the tr- the trade-off is that you know yeah you do kind of lose that like analog skill a little bit of like you know drawing really light on a piece of paper and then you know sharpening your lines over and you have to you have to get good analog to like get it to what it needs to look like within a couple of tries whereas like with digital you could do 30 tries you yeah. can you know yeah. you can draw a character with hands that are too small and then just scale them up mm-hmm. with like a mm-hmm. wand you know what i mean so i I don't think that people necessarily appreciate like how badly the hacks, the workflow hacks can kind of spoil you for analog, but, but yeah, I mean, there is still just, and like, again, like I said before, I don't want to contradict myself necessarily. I think that you should use, you know, whatever tools you have at your disposal, but you know, yeah, there is just something romantic or, or sentimental or something about, about a, a traditional sketch of, you know, or, or traditional art at all. There were, it's, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you could, you can go buy a car or you can spend a summer, you know, restoring a, a muscle car with your dad. And like one thing is just cooler than the other thing, you know, in some <laughs> way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Um, yeah. You, you kind of, you, you touched on that quite a bit with the, this, the layering thing. And that's something I'm definitely uh, still kind of learning just because I'm having someone color me now. For the first time, like I haven't had anyone color me in years. Mm. So now I'm like, I'm looking at these files I have and it's like, I got like random like arms on one layer and like, you know, like one small piece of the background on another layer just because like, I just did it on a separate layer because I'm like, if this doesn't work, I can just like turn off that layer and delete it or whatever. And I don't have to like go through things. But now I'm like, oh, I have to like be organized about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And do all this. So, you know, normally I kind of just like do figures on one layer, whatever like textures or like, I guess, uh, crosshatch shadings or whatever on another layer. And then the background's a separate layer. And then I'll either, um, if it's easier, I'll either fill in like white on the figure. So that way, like the background gets like blocked out from behind the figures, or I'll just erase the background around the figures and all that. And then, but yeah it's just it's it's just one of those like things where it's like when you're sitting from a paper you're like have that out like oh that yeah. hand looks a little small and i started inking it damn it <laughs> yeah yeah well i i've been experimenting too with the the sort of cliff chang thing where you know he'll have you know, like the figures are outlined but like you know the wrinkles on their faces or their noses are you know a different like a darker shade of the skin tone or something mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. instead of black and so, yeah, I'll have a similar thing as you where it's like, you know, I'll have a layer that's just like 
weird body outlines and maybe their shirt and then another layer that's just floating noses and stuff like that <laughs> because i have to you know because it's easier than to just lay a screen over top of it or whatever but yeah and yeah that's, i think artists who are the all-in-one situation where like they're doing the coloring and the rendering and all that i kind of i know it's it's its own set of uh skills and hassles and all that but i kind of envy them when it's like okay you can like you you can you 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 have the tools to like address this in a more illustrative manner later <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You're, you're not using the strict black and white and uh so yeah whenever i see like artists who like have that whole like beautifully rendered with with you know instead of black lines as facial features or wrinkles they're it's the other shades and for all i know they start off that way and they just in or do color holds or whatever but mm-hmm. you know it's just kind of that like well you kind of see that whole package at once and i'm just looking at the black and white so I'm like i'm trying to uh yeah it's where a little bit of my envy is like ah oh, like you 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 had the whole picture and vision i'm kind of like guessing what's going to happen here <laughs> yeah or i mean or at the very least like even if like at later stages the vision isn't working out so well there you don't you're not stepping on anyone's toes but your own yeah you know i mean you yeah. just you can you can fix things and move things around without hurting any feelings. Um, but yeah, but then the downside is, is the downside, which is it just takes for fucking ever to do it all by yourself. But in the end, you got some comics and it's worth it. That's right. And I don't have to share credit with anybody and, uh, all my success is mine. All my failure is mine. And there's a kind of dignity in it, I suppose. <laughs> awesome. Well, Ren, I'm not going to take up any more of your time. Uh, I appreciate you so much for coming on uh, and reaching out. I've had a blast talking to you, getting to know you. I'm looking forward to reading more Ronin Digital Express. And uh, now is the time. Let everybody know where they can find you on social media and where they can go and read Ronin Digital Express. Yeah. Well, yeah, first off, um, just thank you so much for uh, you know opening my email and uh, and seeing something in my work and uh, wanting to take a chance on me and, uh, you know, share some of your time and and your platform. Uh, you know, I'm really, really appreciative of that. I'm very grateful for the opportunity. Uh, and yeah, I I had a great conversation with you as well. Um, yeah, as far as where to find me, uh, Twitter and Instagram, um, you know, like everybody else, if you Google my name, Renton Hockey uh, or Ronin Digital Express, I don't have a lot of competition (laughs) for those things. And, uh, in Google. So I should, I should come up pretty quickly. Um, uh, otherwise, yeah, if you find me on Twitter at Renton hockey, Instagram at Renton hockey, I have a link tree in the bio of each. Um, and you know, that'll direct you to all the necessary links. Um, I am trying to spend a little bit less time, uh, on social media. Um, it's kind of very distracting for me. Um, I, I kind of, I tend to get sucked into it in all the, the unhealthy ways. So I've been practicing a little bit more, just kind of post and run and check comments maybe like, you know, once a day or something. Um, but if, you know, there's a lot more you know, dialogue and back and forth uh, going on with like my newsletter and then over at Ronin Digital Express. So, um, you know, if you want to be a little bit further inside the, the curtain, uh, as it were, uh, my newsletter and, you know, Ronin Digital Express itself on Substack or, are good places uh, where I'm, I'm much more active and much more responsive and links for both. Uh, yeah. We'll be in the, uh, the link tree uh, right at the top. So awesome. And I'll make, awesome. I'll make sure there's uh, links to all that in the show notes too. So that you can just click around 
it right from the the show page. So awesome, awesome. Well, Rent, thanks again so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you, Don. Um, I'll come back anytime you want, and let's uh, let's definitely try to figure out a way to get uh, get a Kuma burger in our future. Sounds like a plan, sir. All right. Thank you for listening to the Comics Club Metal Podcast. Please be sure to return next week with my guest, comic book artist, Sally Cantorino. See you then.